each of us to, to desire to be in community, to know and to be known. And one of the greatest pictures of that um, was just about a week ago. Pat, can you stand in the back? Our brother back here um, was in a paramotoring accident and was pulling the ignition cord. Do I have that right? And the fan part of it came up and to stop it from probably taking off your head maybe and doing some major damage, he put his hand up and lost his middle three fingers. In the horror of that, Pastor Glenn um, texted out to the pastoral team telling us to pray for Pat. And we got to the emergency room. Dave got there first, and Lisa and I and Danielle showed up. And Patrice was standing there with one of her dear friends. I think it was Heidi, right? And Heidi was with her. And just to see the horror on their face, wondering about, you know, what, what is our future going to look like? How is this going to affect our job? Surgery, are they going to have to put pins in my hand? All these different things that Pat was thinking about at the moment while he was on some pain meds, too. But I'll never forget, Pat looked up at us and said, man, it's so good to see some familiar faces. You could be seated, Pat. The cool thing about that is that we're a part of a community. And that doesn't happen when we live as an island unto ourselves. It doesn't happen when my dad, my mom and dad over here this morning, a part of the service today, and it's good to see them. I remember when they were needing their house painted, their roof done. My dad was a part of a men's group and made that known. It's a man with my disability and being out of work and limited funds. And the guys got together on their own and said, we're going to not only paint your house, but we're going to roof your house too. And the blessing that came from being a part of a community. That's the power of the local church when the local church is working right. And that's why Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together, as especially as you see the day coming near. How many believe that we're made for community and we need each other in the church? So I encourage you. We say it week after week, NBC is the not-so-perfect church, and truth be known, there isn't such thing as a perfect church, right? We live in an imperfect world. We're an imperfect people, but we serve a real perfect father. So I encourage you as we continue on and towards the holidays, make it a habit to be in church with your family. We welcome you this morning. We're glad that you're here. Can you pray with me as ushers are handing out notes? Just bow your heads with me and let's pray for the message this morning. Father, I'm so thankful to have this opportunity to share your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for meeting me in my study. I thank you, Father, for the words that you've, that you've helped me to put on the paper, Lord, and helping me to communicate now. Father, I pray now that your word come alive in our hearts, and Lord, that we would open our hearts to be receptive to what the Spirit is saying this morning. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you. Manifest yourself to each of us individually where we're at. Do your thing in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Three weeks ago, we had our family fun day service up on the rooftop, and Pastor Glenn kicked off a new sermon series called Family Life, and he shared a message that Sunday about family life and how it 
there's some sim similarities to the game of golf. That message wasn't recorded, but there are notes back at the information kiosk in the back. The following Sunday, Labor Day weekend, how many were here Labor Day Sunday and got a chance to hear from our dear friends, Sam and Jennifer Duram? Sam brought an awesome message that Sunday, and Jennifer shared an encouraging word um, for us at the end of the service, and we we're so blessed by their friendship as they serve on the YWAM Youth with a Mission Asia Pacific Eldership Team. And then last Sunday, Pastor Glenn preached a great message on marriage. How many were a part of that last Sunday? If you weren't here for that, pick up the CD in the back. We always make those available for free. We record every service, except for services that happen outside. And we make those available for free, and that's a good one to listen to and listen to again. But this morning, we're going to continue on in our Family Life message series with a message that I've entitled, Gospel-Centered Parenting. And as all you know, there are literally hundreds upon hundreds of strategies and philosophies, books, and opinions on the subject of parenting. If you Google parenting, you're going to find a whole list. If you go on Amazon, there's tons of books, there's podcasts, there's blogs, and this morning, you'll be happy to know that I'm not going to be sharing my favorite principle or style of parenting. I'm not going to get into my own philosophy, but I want to look at what God has to say in general about parenting. And before we get to the text, I want to ask all of us in the room this morning that are parents and grandparents a question. And I'm going to make the assumption here that we all have similar goals and pursuits for our children and grandchildren. Goals for them to become well-rounded, moral people. Goals for our children and grandchildren to learn to provide for themselves and perhaps provide for a family someday. That's what God's calling them to. And lastly, goals for them to be happy and to contribute to society in some way that lines up with their passions and gifts. But here's my question. How was that different than anyone else? Think about that. How are those goals different from anyone else? Don't atheists have those same goals for their children? Don't agnostics have those same goals for their children and grandchildren? How about Mormons, Buddhists, Muslims? I mean, aren't these the same goals that everyone has for their children? See, last Sunday was the kickoff of the 2019-2020 NFL football season. And in football, the ultimate goal is to put points on the board, right? To score touchdowns. It doesn't matter much at the end of the game who had the most running yards, it doesn't matter at the end of the game who had the less penalties or who had um, the most passing yardage. If the other team got more points on the board, they win. The stats are pretty meaningless if you don't win, and winning means scoring points. So how do we win at this thing called parenting? What is parenting success according to the scriptures? Have you ever thought about what your goal is as a parent? What is parenting success? What is winning? What is putting points on the board? 
we may not say it in so many words, but there are many goals that we can have for our children that while not wrong, fall far short of what God calls success in parenting. We want our children and grandchildren to excel academically. We want them to excel at sports, socially, fill in the blank. We have a lot of different goals for our children and grandchildren that aren't wrong. But what is the ultimate goal that God has called us as parents to have for our children? Our goal might be to prepare them to get a great career where they can make a lot of money and you know, and have the American dream, buy a house, have two and a half children. I always thought that stat was kind of funny. Like, how can you have, like, a half a child? You know, maybe your goal is for them to have, like, a pet that they can enjoy, a dog, that is. And Allie, this is where you come in. I'm sorry. Allie likes cats. I think cats are selfish. <laughs> You could prove me wrong later. <laughs> if we take pride in our parenting abilities, our goal might be for our children to be little trophies that reflect well on our parenting. I see this a lot. Sometimes we push our children to excel not because we think it's best for them, but because of how it reflects on us. They become little trophies that we like to show off. And how many know that's wrong? And don't get me wrong, some of these things aren't bad goals. And helping our children succeed in various aspects of life is an important part of parenting. But as I mentioned, these are the, the same goals that non-believers have for their children. And the Bible doesn't talk about these goals when it talks about what parenting success is. Deuteronomy 6 tells us that loving the Lord our God is to be the goal that we should have for our hearts first and that we should take our love for God and use everyday life to impress that same love of God upon our kids. Amen? Our highest goal as parents is to point our children to God. To help them to get a, a perfect view of the Father's love for them. Friends, we can't save our children. Only God can save them. But our goal as parents is to help them, not hinder them, to come to a strong personal faith in Jesus. And once we've established that this is our main goal, it is then and only then that we can answer the question, how do we raise children that love Jesus above all else? Because that's what it means to put points on the scoreboard when it comes to parenting. How do we raise our kids to love Jesus above all else? Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, um, Moses here in the first three verses, he he starts out by basically preaching a sermon of sorts on the first of the Ten Commandments. He has just finished in chapter 5, kind of like doing a review of the Ten Commandments as God first revealed to him on Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 20. And he's, he's talking to this new generation of Israelite children that are getting ready to go into the promised land that God has promised them. And he's saying, before you go in, you must establish in your hearts that commandment number one is, is of utmost importance. The Lord, your God, is one. There is no other gods before God. So my goal for this message is to walk us through 
these first nine verses of Deuteronomy 6, explaining as we go along what we can learn from this text as it relates to gospel-centered parenting. Let's look at the first three verses. Again, the writer's Moses, and he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. So that's the condition. The reward is, if you do these things, your days may be long. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses is making it clear, these aren't my words, these are God's words. These are from him. He brings up the ultimate purpose of the Ten Commandments in verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your son's son. Now, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's not a, like, I'm afraid type of fear. It's a respect for. It's like, Father knows best. He has my best interest in mind. Therefore, he's given me these commands, right? When my dad first bought um, a boat and we had it up at a cottage up in Manaqua, we were out in the water testing it out. And we were talking to the gentleman from the marina and he said, why don't you move over into the driver's seat and, and try it out for yourself? And my dad pushed on the throttle, and the thing just went up, and he's like, whoa. And I said, kind of laughingly as a little kid, <laughs> are you afraid? And my dad said, I'm not afraid, but I have a respect for this boat and for the water because I know that it can take my life if I do something foolishly. So that's what we're talking about this morning as it relates to the fear that is talked about here. You may fear the Lord, knowing that Father knows best and he has your best interest in mind. Jewish tradition, in verse 4, it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. How many times did he say all? Three driving it home, all your heart, spirit, all your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and all your might, the physical part of you. He's saying, you shall love the Lord your God with everything that you are, spirit, soul, and body. You have to be all in. You have to be all in. In Christian tradition here, this first word of verse 4 here is Shema, which means to hear, but not in the fashion of like, listen or come close so that you can hear me, 
to hear here in Hear, O Israel, as he's talking to the whole generation of people, he's saying to them, not only listen, but that word here, or Shema, means obey. How many know this one thing to hear, and it's another thing to obey what you hear? Hear in the Hebrew language means to obey. And so in other words, to hear these verses and not obey them is like not hearing them at all. In the New Testament times, when Jesus was asked, what are your greatest of the commandments? He quoted Deuteronomy 6.4, love the Lord your God, as well as Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. See, these weren't just Jewish beliefs or rules. It was Jesus himself who summed up the law with these two commands. When you boil it all down, love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love the Lord your God with everything, all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And this love isn't just an emotional love, although that's part of it. But he is our God. He created us. He provides for us. Therefore, we love him, and we are to show our love through our obedience. In John 14, 15, Jesus puts it pretty simply. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How many know that if we love our kids... We'll provide for them. If we love our wife, we won't just tell her, but we will show her in many different ways. So in the rest of the time that we have left this morning, I want us to endeavor to answer the question, how do we raise our children and grandchildren to love and follow God above all else? As parents, number one, we love God with all that we have. Number one, we love God ourselves with all that we have. So in teaching our children and grandchildren to love and follow God above all else, ironically has nothing to do with them. However, it has everything to do with us as parents and grandparents. I mean, right in the middle of talking about what we're to be giving our children, what legacy we're to be leaving for them, we get to this verse, verse 4. The Lord our God is one. Love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The thing that stands out to me from these two verses is that God wants every part of our lives. God doesn't just want a portion of it. He wants it all. Our children will recognize if God is a thing that we do rather than a way that we live our lives. See, we can't Expect our children to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might if they don't first see us doing it and setting the example. You know what the worst thing that you can do for your kids is to give them a little bit of Jesus? How many know that we're in immunization season? Flu shots, kids getting their shots before going back to school. You want to immunize your your children to God, from God, give them a little bit of Jesus, just a little bit. Isn't that what immunizations are? You get a little bit of the virus so that your body can build up immunity and recognize it and take care of it. You want to keep your kids away from the church. You want to become a part of the statistic that says that once kids get past um, 
senior year and graduate and go off to college. They're just going to live their own lives and, and walk away from God. Then give them just a little bit of Jesus. Just give them a little bit. And you're going to immunize them to it. Christian living isn't just a Sunday morning thing. It's got to be a 24-7 thing. If we want our children to become immune to the gospel, immune to the power of Christ, just give them a little bit. Our lack of commitment to Christ sends a message to our children that God or church is a thing we do instead of a thing that we are. Friends, coming to church on Sunday is not a thing we do. Meeting together, not neglecting to meet together, not neglecting to stir up, to encourage others, is not a thing we do, it's a thing that we are. It flows out of what's inside of us. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine with me, first chair dad, second chair dad, and third chair dad. Now, I don't want to demean anyone as you find yourself in any one of these three chairs. This is a way for me to illustrate this point. See, first chair dad truly loves God with all that he has. Second chair dad, he shows up at church, he, he puts on the mask, he, he walks the walk, he talks the talk, but outside of Sunday, he's living for his own goals and pursuits. Third chair dad doesn't want to have anything to do with God, could care less about God. So first chair dad loves God. Second chair dad puts on the mask, talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. And third, third chair dad has nothing to do with God. Listen, statistically, third chair dads raise third chair children. Dads that don't care about Jesus raise children that don't care about Jesus. First chair dads raise first chair, chair children that love God with all their hearts. But listen to this, second chair dads, the ones that put on a good show, that put on the mask, that show up and, you know, they talk the park, but they don't walk the walk. Second chair dads, statistically speaking, raise third chair children. Did you get that? Second chair dads, the ones that put on the mask, that talk the, the part, but don't walk the walk, raise third chair children who could care less about Jesus. Friends, we don't have to be perfect parents, and there's no such thing as perfect parents, but we can't be hypocrites. The best way to truly raise children that love Jesus above all else is by loving Jesus above all else ourselves. We love God first with every bit of our beings. That doesn't mean being perfect at all. In fact, parents that really love Jesus above all else admit their faults and aren't too prideful to confess to their kids when they mess up and to ask for their forgiveness. I've had to do that a lot of times, especially with my oldest son. Josh, that wasn't right the way I talked to your mom. Or that wasn't right how I approached you. I'm sorry. That's not how I should live as a Christian father. Will you forgive me? That's what we have to do. Number two, how do we raise 
children that love God with everything, we spend intentional time with them. How do we do that? How do we do that when we're not in the late 1950s, leave it to beaver and the cleaver type family that has dinner together and breakfast together and it's like, hey, dad, I got this problem, and hey, son, this is what you need to do type of thing. It's more like, hey, daddy-o, you know, pop in a Pop-Tart and see you later. Everybody's going their own direction. Everybody's tuned into their smartphones. Nobody looks at each other anymore. You know, you have dinner in front of the TV or up in the room. You're kind of living like roommates with your kids. So how do you do that in this culture? You've got to be intentional. You've got to be intentional. I love what Moses says here and how we can relate this to our life today. I want to say before I get into that, though, that even with technology and how it's divided our culture and it's had a lot of adverse effects, on the opposite side of the spectrum, we have so many resources available to us today than we ever had before to be able to engage our children with the gospel. Matt and I taught just a few weeks ago in Sunday school about some of these resources. I emailed them out to a lot of the families in the church. I hope you receive them. If you didn't, pull Matt and I aside and say, I would like those, and we'll make that available to you. Some things that we've used, tools and resources to engage our children and help them to know the Lord. But there's some things here in verse 7. I want you to look at verse 7. Moses talks about four, yeah, four different ways that we can be intentional with, and have intentional time with our kids. He says, when you sit in your house, when you sit in your house, Lisa and I were talking about that. We're like, when are the times as we sit in our house that we have these times to engage with our kids, to bring up topics of faith and inject them into daily life? And she made a good point. She said a lot of, a lot of times that happens after school for us. Maybe it happens around the dinner table for you, but a lot of times, especially Caden, he'll come home after running cross country. He'll sit up at the island, and um, he'll want a snack, and we'll get him a snack, and we'll start engaging him. How was your day? What did you learn today? And he'll start talking about his day, and it's just funny all the time because of who we are. This comes out of who you are. You begin to inject faith, and your values um, come into play as you begin to stir the conversation. like So in this type, I want you to write down, when you sit in your house, write down in your notes, mealtime, and whatever that is. Maybe it's after school, snack time, kitchen bar, how was your day, what did you learn? And you're, the type of conversation at this time is formal. It's like a focused discussion on life issues. And your role during this time is like teacher guide. Teacher, guide. And the goal is in these moments, you're establishing your family values, Christian values with your kids. So Moses says, when you sit in your house, mealtime, formal conversation, your role is teacher, guide. The goal is establishing values. Drive time. Verse 7, when you walk by the way. How many are thankful for cars that we're not walking by the way everywhere? You know, like walking down the belt line. Hey, move over there, you know. Thankful for drive time. 
drive time. In our culture today, this is drive time. The type of conversation or discussion is informal. Your role during these drive time opportunities is friend. And your goal is interpreting life. How did this happen? For being like, Lance, you're a joker. You love sarcasm. You make people mad when you use sarcasm so much. You definitely make your son mad because he's not a sarcastic person. He is logical and analytical, and he's only going to speak when he has something true and right to say. He's not a person who's brought to levity, and he doesn't like your dad jokes, okay? So I had to figure out, how am I going to relate to my son? Do I just ignore him and say, why can't you be like me? If you don't want to be like me, then we don't have anything in common, so just go your way. You can hang out with your mom, who's more like you, and I'll just be by myself. No, that's not what I did. How can I relate to my son? I had to meet him on his own turf. I realized that Josh is going to talk when Josh wants to talk. My sarcasm is not going to open him up. It's just going to make him mad. It's just going to put a wedge in between us. How many of you know what can relate to that? I read books. Growing up, you know, if you were, like, called an introvert, it's like, no, I'm not an introvert. You're an introvert. You know, it's like he was the first to define himself as such. Dad, I'm an introvert. We don't do those things. I, wrote, I read books on what, what it was like to be an introvert and how to relate to introverts. Because I wanted to know my son. I wanted to be a part of his life so I could help stir him towards these goals of loving God and being successful and having a purpose. And so we had a standing date every week. Sunday night, usually around 8 o'clock, sometimes 9 o'clock at the latest, we got together. If he was at a friend's house, if he was out doing his own thing, he made sure he was home by 8 or 9 o'clock. I made sure that I didn't have anything on my schedule around 8 or 9 o'clock. And we got together, and we drove to the Starbucks on University because it was the coffee shop that was open the latest at the time. 11 p.m., I believe it closed. And we would drive, and I would sit in the driver's side until he got his license, and I sat on the passenger side. And we would, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. I want to engage with my son, and he's not talking to me. And we would drive there, and then he would order his drink. I'd order my drink, and he would go sit at the bar, put on his Apple earpods, and I would go sit in another area. And I'm like, man, this isn't working. And then we would get in the car, and then we'd be driving home. And sometimes, more often than not, he would drive right by the house. Like, hey, we, we live at 641 Basswood. You know, we don't live in the town of Verona. We live in the city of Verona. And he's like, Dad, I want to talk to you about something. And he would start opening up, and we would just, like, do circles out in the country. As he would pour out his heart, we would have close conversations. So we would talk about life and relationships, relationships and relationships. At that age, relationships. Talk about faith. There was one time when he knew that I was struggling that he said, Dad, I've been praying for you. And I said, 
And I was so excited to hear what he was going to say next because I knew that Josh only talked when he had really thought through what he was going to say. And he said, God has has showed me this and this and this about you. And God showed me that he's going to do this, this, and this in your future. And he's been um, working through this, this, and this that you've been going through to prepare you for what he's going to do in your future. And I remember just tears streaming down my eyes, just listening to my son give counsel to me. See, this role in the drive time is informal. It's like friend to friend. It's where you can really get down deep with your kids. The goal here is interpreting life. And then I have a little bit more of an extroverted daughter who loves the next part when you lie down. Bedtime. Mom and I, last night, want to get to sleep, want to be fresh in the morning, big day, going to be communicating, want to get up early, comes home from babysitting, dog jumps up at the edge of the bed, daughter plops down on the bed, dad's head flies up off the pillow, welcome home, Alyssa, dad, Thanks. I have the profusely sweating disease. (laughs) Bedtime, intimate conversation. How many know that your role during that time is counselor? But I've learned that I'd rather lose 30 minutes to an hour of sleep and engage with her in that moment and talk about life and what's going on in her life than having a wedge where she never comes to me or her mom and goes to someone else. And the goal here is building closeness. This is a great time to listen to the heart of your children. Parents, take opportunities to be on your, parent, your child's turf, even if it means a little bit of losing some sleep. And the last one, when you rise, morning time. Type of conversation here is motivating words. I put here the role is kind of like a coach. Caden's the first to wake up in the morning. He's all about discipline and um, having his things ready, his bag packed, and he's up making breakfast. I don't even have to ask him. He, he knows I love oatmeal in the morning, and he's got the oatmeal ready for dad. He's got things ready for his sister. They go off to school together, and I grab him, and I pull him aside, and I say, Dad wants to pray for your day. And he always stops and pauses. And he looks forward to that moment when I, I'm kind of like the coach, you know, giving him the last pep talk before sending him out into the game. God bless Caden's day. Be with him today. Help him to learn everything that you have for him. Help him to apply the things that he's taught. Let him be a good example. Amen. And Caden's like, thanks, Dad. Love you. Out the door. How many know that you can put these things into practice with your kids? These are some good things. So when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, I want to insert a side thought here as I close this morning. The worship team can come. I felt like when I was praying for the messages this morning, there might be some of you who are feeling like, man, my kids are gone. And while they were growing up, I wasn't living for God with all that I had. And now I feel bad about the decisions that they made. Or maybe you felt like you were second chair dad. You were walking the walk 
not walking the walk, but you were, you know, your actions spoke louder than your words, and maybe God wasn't as important to you, and, and your kids saw you as inauthentic, and you feel like maybe some of the decisions that they've made now while they're out of the house and you find yourself as empty nesters, you're seeing them kind of reap some of your decisions. I want to say to you this morning that God's grace is bigger than your sin. Amen? I was reminded of this um, in the recent movie by, what's it called, Overcomer? How many seen Overcomer? You know, when when the, the father's dying, he's... He's got this incurable disease. He's in his deathbed, and his, his daughter has just now has heard her whole life that her dad had neglected her and abandoned her and, and didn't want to have anything to do with her life, and he didn't live for God. And then now she has this revelation that her dad's alive, and she gets to come and see him. And her dad confesses to her that, man, I didn't live the way I should have lived. Your mom and I didn't do this parenting thing right. But I want you to know that I'm not the same dad that I was then, that I've given my life to Jesus, and I'm endeavoring now to live with God with all my heart. And there's a rebonding that takes place in that movie, and it's such a great picture of God's grace and starting over. So if you find yourself being a second chair dad, today could be a day where you, you flip the script and you change the narrative of your life and say, you know what, I'm done playing church. I'm done being on the sidelines. I'm done being inauthentic in front of my kids. I don't want my kids to grow up and, and to see that and make decisions based upon how I lived. So I'm all in this morning, Lance, that I wanna say that God knows your heart and that his grace is bigger than any of your mistakes and he welcomes you home this morning. He welcomes you home this morning. And for those of us with children still at home, and even for those of us who are empty nesters, imagine your children over the years watching you be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Imagine your children seeing you convicted by the Holy Spirit and making change in your life. Imagine your children listening to you sing worship songs from the heart, especially while going through terrible times. Imagine your children watching you really care about what the Bible has to say. Imagine your children watching you pray about important decisions and not allowing um, the crises of life pull you down. Friends, this is the greatest thing that you can do for the faith and lives of your children because those little eyes are watching. They're watching how mom and dad respond to the situations of life. And the best gift that you can give your children is to love God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your spirit is here so strong right now in this moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take the words that were just spoken, Lord, and just illuminate them on our hearts. that we not blow off your word to us this morning, Lord. That we would say this morning that we're all in. We're all in. You've given many of us the responsibility of raising young lives whose eyes are on us as their parents. 
help us, Lord, to point them towards Jesus with our lives. We don't want to play the game, Lord. Help us to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, because we know that our actions speak louder than our words. And may our children grow up to be world changers, Lord. May our children grow up to change other people's destinies, Lord, as you use them for the glory of God. Hallelujah. May our children grow up to be small group leaders, leaders in the church, leaders in their school, leaders in their workplace, Lord. May our children grow up to be doctors and nurses, Lord, who pray before they do surgery, pray before they serve people. We have such a responsibility to Lord to change the destiny of their lives, Lord. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but you come to give them life. Lord, may our kids know that life, that abundant life. You're not calling us to be perfect, Lord. We know that your grace is bigger than our flaws. But Lord, you are calling us to be faithful. You are calling us to be faithful. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anyone in this room, Lord, that has an idol in their life that they're pursuing at the expense of their children's hearts so that they would destroy that idol in Jesus' name. That they would tear that down off the altar of their heart and their eyes be opened, Lord, to the fact that they have an incredible responsibility to direct their children's lives. Thank you for your grace today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord this morning. for your mom and dad. Ask God, ask God to be present in their life. But if you have kids, let's just, I, I'm just going to let Tim strum a little bit. Let the presence of God be here and you pray something powerful. Pray for God to be present with them in their minds, in their hearts. Pray for God to open up doors so they can be successful. Pray, pray that God would, would, would help them make their paths easy. They can, they can find and understand who they are and let these things unfold. So he's just going to play for a little bit, and you just pray that out, okay? And after, after that prayer, we'll, we'll seal it by singing this. God is real. He's palatable. He's tangible. And he's doing something in the city, in our lives. And, 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 and he will listen when you, when you reach out, when you speak the words, and you say, God, I, I, want, I want something to happen in, in my son, in my daughter. He will do it. If you say nothing, God will pass over. Okay, don't don't miss out on on the blessings. All right, we'll just we'll just play a little bit, and I'll leave leave you to do that.
doing in this room right now. Our pastoral team is moving to the right and left of the auditorium. If you would like to pray further, have someone join you in prayer. Maybe this morning you say, I want to I want to rededicate my life to the Lord. Today I want to make a, a fresh, a new start, a fresh start. They'll pray with you and lead you in that prayer of dedication this morning. Please don't be intimidated. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to Jesus the same. 